Well, for several weeks now, I've been in this series on what God did long ago, 500 years ago this year, in celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. I'm doing this series entitled Reverberations of the Reformation, Echoes, that which comes down to us, which still vibrates and resonates in our time. These great truths that are not just truths that are historical, but are scriptural. We've been looking at that series now, and this is our fifth installment, as we've looked at what are known, those mottos of the Reformation and known as the five solas. We have a graphic there. There they are, sola scriptura, the scripture alone. They all are based on the Latin word that it means alone. So it's scripture alone. It's solus Christus. It's Christ alone. It's sola gratia. It's grace alone. It's sola fide. That's faith alone. And today, sola deo, soli deo gloria, God's Glory alone, or glory to God alone. We're going to be looking at that at our scripture reading now. First of all, beginning in Psalm chapter 115, verse 1. And again, as in this series, this is topical in nature. I'm not expositing these passages, but they set up and point us to the great theme of which we are considering the biblical theme of the glory belonging to God alone. The first reading is Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And then over in the book of Romans, the great culmination of the doctrinal portion of the, of the book of Romans, Paul caught up in the glory of God, cries out in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments And how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then in 1 Timothy 1.17, that great ascription, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that today the glory will be yours. Father, help us to see you as you are and treat you as you deserve. Not only in this service today, 
in our hearts and thoughts, but in the way we live seven days a week, 365. Father, may you be glorified. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Soli Deo Gloria. Again, for you Latin scholars, that is God's glory alone, or glory to God alone. You know that phrase, the Latin form of it, the soli deo gloria, that you see in the parentheses on the slide, has been used by many Christians down through the ages since the Reformation time. It has been used by many Christian organizations as a motto. Quite a few use that. And at least one has taken it as the very name of the organization. It's a publishing house, Soli Deo Gloria. That's the name of the publishing house. I think they know what they're trying to say we're in business for. Also, you probably are aware that the initials for Soli Deo Gloria, SDG, that, the initials for that Latin phrase were used by none other than Johann Sebastian Bach and George Friedrich Handel and other musicians to s- sign their scores and thereby tell you with a big SDG. I think we have a graphic there. There's a, one of Bach's scores and look over, well, it's to my right, it'll be to your left on the screen Soli Deo Gloria. Sometimes he would do just SDG for short. But that was the point was that Bach and these other Christian musicians recognized that it was all about God's glory, not theirs. And they wanted you to know that it was through the creative power of God that the gift that he had given and the glory belonged to him and not unto man. So he signed not only his religious works, but many, Bach did many of his secular works as well with SDG. By the way, if some of you have ever corresponded or had to change emails with me, sometimes we, you know, when we're passing, the elders are passing prayer requests along to one another. And uh, when we pray for something and we hear that God's uh, done, brought healing, and when there's been recovery and uh, or something God's come through in a big way, uh, we'll use the PTL, you know, the, the acrostic, for praise the Lord. And that's a good one. That's a common one. But sometimes I throw in SDG. Uh, as mine, a way to God alone be the glory for what's, what's been done and what he's done. Well, today, we're going to use again the, the convention. I've been using the three questions that I want to ask and answer concerning the glory to God alone. Why did it matter? Why did it matter? Why does it still matter? What does it mean? What do we mean when we say the glory of God alone And what difference does it make practically in our lives or should it make in our lives, in our worship, in in the way we live, in the way we pursue the glory of God? So let's look at those three. Why did it matter? Well, it mattered. God's glory alone mattered then and it matters still now because, according to Calvin, your sweet little hearts 
Bless your pea picking heart, as Minnie Pearl used to say. Um, so if you don't know what that's about, it's okay. Uh, but unfortunately, your heart and mine are churning idol factories. They just spit out idolatry left and right, over and over away again. And many times in ways in which we may recognize, many times in ways we don't, but wherein we are putting something else in the place of God. We are glorying in something other than the triune God of the scriptures. Calvin said our hearts as idol factories turn out other objects of praise and worship other than the one true and living God. Everyone worships. Everyone glories. We are glory seekers. We were designed by our creator that way. But the problem is we seek glory in the wrong places in what we trust in, in what we magnify, in what we find fulfilling and glorious and beautiful and weighty and significant. We often glory in other things than God. That's why it matters. The glory of God alone is so important in order to keep our sanity. Have you ever heard me sometimes if you've been here a while, some, every once in a while I say we're here today to get our sanity restored. What I mean? Do I mean we're really insane? No, of course you're not insane, and neither am I in that in the in the technical sense of that. But it's we are so forgetful. We forget what this is really all about, and we come here for a course correction to be reshaped and reoriented to the things that really matter, the things that are, will dominate all eternity. We need to realize that things are not what they seem to be in this broken world. We do not see reality as it is and as it should be. And so we come, and that's why we need to embrace the glory of God alone and pursue that in our lives and in our worship and in our work and in our world. Now, back in the 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church of the Reformers' time they adhered to what Martin Luther called a theology of glory. Now, what, what did that mean? What did they mean by that? They adhered to, Luther said they adhered to, and the, what they do and the way they practice, there is a theology of, glo- of glory that is there, whether they recognize it or not. And what does it do? What does it look like? It's, it is the fact that sinners... There is a glory for a sinner's salvation that can be partly attributed to Christ. Yes, Jesus is really essentially important. He is the Savior. But part of that also could be that glory can be attributed to Mary and to the saints. The whole notion of veneration to to somehow glorying or, or, or putting trust in or confidence in these other things or partly to the sinner himself or herself because they recognized their need of God and they are, are doing what they need to do for self-reformation. 
You see, that is a theology of glory that seeks not only the glory of God alone, but also to siphon off some of that glory. Not as much, but nonetheless, they're secondary, but they still, there's some glory that we can take away. One of the theologians fussed at Luther and basically said, you, you don't give any glory to man. Luther said, you're right, I don't. And I don't want to and I shouldn't. It's all God's. If you've ever been to the Vatican at St. Peter and seen St. Peter's Basilica, you have been overwhelmed at another form of a theology of glory. Let me show you what it looks like. Let's take a quick look at these six slides here. Uh, I don't normally throw that many at you, but of course, there's St. Peter's in uh, Basilica. All right, next slide. Just, just look at the, I mean, the immensity of this, the gold, gilded gold uh, in walking into, next slide. Look, at, look again, if, I know it's kind of dark, but you can see, I don't know if I can kill these lights up, the spots or not, but you can see again, just in, in, in incredible paintings and sculptors and just glorying in, 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 in humanity and what it's accomplished. Certainly that was the spirit of the Renaissance. Next slide. Look at that, look at that hallway, down this hallway, tapestries, beautiful, beautiful paintings, incredible mosaics and gold inlay just every turn. Next one, please. And then look at the vault there this, of that ceiling, all the gold interlaid. And so many of the churches, same thing you go in other places. This is just a pr- the prime example. Now look at this last one. There's the Pope high and exalted, lifting down. What, what is this? What is being really said? What is being preached when you go there? An, an unverbal sermon. You see, this kind of glory smacks of creature worship. Not in an overt form, but nonetheless It's a monarchical kingship before which the faithful bow. There's something wrong with that. There's something very wrong with that. You see, as sinners, we just won't stay in our place as creatures, will we? We just don't like to be reminded that we are creatures and not the creator who is blessed forever. We, if we're honest, want to take some of the glory, some of the credit, some of the kudos for all the work that we do. You see, why? We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Why do the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of grace are are five Fundamental things that came out of, the, out of the Reformation that talk about God is the author, beginner, and ender of everything in salvation. It all starts with him. It ends with him. And the glory is his. And he doesn't split any of it up or siphon, allow any of it to be siphoned off. It's all to him. Glory. But why are those doctrines of grace that we call them? Why are they so often resisted viscerally? 
Why are they so often opposed, even demonized in some cases? Because they cut the heart out of man-centered attention. They give the glory to God and to God alone. And they won't let a shred, an ounce of it, be taken by the sinner to say, Ah, yes, God did it all, but I, there's no I in God's salvation as far as the credit and the glory is concerned. Oh, yes, we are involved. We respond. Yes, there's a place. But again, it all starts with, and what we do is only because of the enablement of God. And therefore, the glory is his. You see, we struggle as creatures. We want to take the credit. So now, what does it mean more specifically? You see, the Luther and the Reformers believed in not a theology of glory. They believed in the theology of the cross. And it was through that theology of the cross that God was glorified and magnified in a way that is so amazing. You see, it was the cross that brought glory to God for the gift of his son and what he accomplished in our salvation. And it was all accomplished by Jesus. We are not part, we don't have a part in which Jesus gets most of the credit and we get some of the credit. It's all the, our salvation was not added to or contributed to by us. And so it all is accomplished by God. And therefore the glory bounces back. It rebounds back to its source, God alone. God alone. He is the one that deserves the glory. We sing it in the hymn that we uh, often, oftentimes as a, a response to the offering. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. See, we're giving him glory for what? What Christ accomplished. Because of God's love, his initiation to us. We also sing it in the Gloria Patri occasionally. What is that Gloria Patri? It was actually a, a third century, fourth century fight song in, in standing the ground against, against a heresy that was basically saying God is not a trinity. He's not the triune God. He's, the son is not God. And it was a fight song. And so it, it said this, glory be to the father and to the son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning. So now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. You see, folks, furthermore, glory to God also means he's not in a sharing mood. I'm sorry. God is not in a sharing mood when it comes to the glory of his name. Listen to this. Isaiah 42, 8 and Isaiah 48, 11. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. Nor my praise to craven idols. For my own sake. For my own sake. Double repetition. God says, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? If you take an ounce of it away. A smidgen away. You profane the name of God. 
And then he says it again, repeats, my glory I will not give to another. Is there anything unclear about that? I hope not. You see, he will not share it with a pope. He will not share it with Mary. And he won't share it with the reformers. And he won't share it with you or me. Or anyone else on the planet. It's his. But you and I, unfortunately, are thieves. We're glory thieves. Let me, let me try to bring this down to, to really understanding what we're talking about here. How often do we try to steal some of his glory through the credit we take for our successes? Let me bring it even closer to home. If you don't think I'm a thief and a robber, I so many times want to steal some glory from God so that I'll get more recognition. So that somehow I will feel more vindicated because I have really done this or I've worked hard to accomplish this. And I want to be recognized. I want to be known. Let me make something very clear. Edification and encouragement is your job and my job to each other. God will take care of the humbling. So people say, well, I shouldn't encourage anybody because they might get proud. That's not your job. That's God's job. He has plenty of ways to take care of that, I promise you. But we're not talking about our roles to each other. But we're talking about when in our hearts we want to say, yeah, (laughs) nailed it. You know, (laughs) you know, yard, you know, we want to do that. The truth is, I have nothing. You have to preach to yourself the gospel and say, Lord, everything I have has been a gift of you. And if I've seen anything, if I understand anything, if I know anything, if I believe anything, it's from you. And the glory is yours. Forgive me. Forgive me, Father, for stealing your glory. For believing I really had something to do with that. And the reason why that's different is because of me. Now, here's the magic and the amazing thing. Yes, in grace, God will use you. And he may even once in a while use me. But the glory is not ours. It's his and his alone. Tozer said you can walk into a church and discern whether or not it believes in the glory of God alone by what you observe. What do you mean? mean? He meant things like, what's central there? When you walk in, to one of its services of work. What is central? What's the main focus? Who is exalted? Is it God or is it man? Is the attention drawn to the worshipers or the performers? Or is it drawn to God? See, this is really practical stuff. It's really where we live and You see, man-centered theology is one of the greatest plagues infesting the church today. Now, on a brighter note, on a brighter note, the glory of God alone, did you realize, is one of the great groundings 
for your assurance of salvation? Did you know that? Because God pursues his glory and he won't let his name be defamed. He knows it's all about him. He's the only one worthy and he's very, very jealous for the glory of his name. So guess what he's not going to let happen? He's not going to have any of his promises fall and falter. He's not going to lose that which he has claimed as his own. Do you understand that? God is too zealous, too jealous for his own glory to let you and me fall from his mighty hands. He's going to keep his everlasting arms beneath us. Always to the end. Come what may. Because it's for his glory. Yes, you and I benefit from that, praise God. But it's for his glory. You see, he's highly investing. He's highly invested. He's got skin in the game when it comes to your and my salvation. That we get there. That's an amazing comfort, is it not? If you struggle with your faith, if you doubt, if you fear, if you still wonder, oh God, I look in the mirror and I know what I did again. How can I be a Christian? God is more zealous for you to get to heaven than maybe you are. Because it's his glory that's on the line. And of all the father has given to me, Jesus said, I will lose none. Not a one. What difference does it make, folks? What difference? Just briefly here. The sola. This sola is the end of all the why questions. It's the answer to all the endless whys. No, it's not the answer you and I want. Because <laughs> we want, our whys are pretty particular. We want to know why this particular thing happened in this way and why it had this ramification. No. But it's ultimately the answer to all the whys. Why, why, why? This is the ultimate end of that constant question. Remember what the children's catechism says? First question is what? Who made you? Answer is God. What else did God make? Second question says all things. Then comes the third question, the why question. Why did God make all things, Johnny, Susie? For his own glory. For his own glory. That's why he made. I love Judy Rogers' little little catechism uh, song we used to sing. God made me and everything in this world I see for his own glory. God made everything and me. You see, that's what it's all about. What a difference this truth makes. It means that God's glory should be the dominant theme in our worship. 
It doesn't mean that there aren't parts of it and aspects, but God, God does want to see. He's glorified when his people edify one another in love and serve one another. Do not forget that. That glorifies him. But ultimately, still, he is the one that must be the focus and what it's all about. And all the rest flows from that. It means that his glory should dominate the theme of our worship services. We should not come out of obligation or because we want to be entertained. But to see God glorified through our worship to God and through the service we give to his people and to those that we are trying to reach with the gospel. This affects the kind of songs we sing. This should affect the needs that we acknowledge, the gospel we celebrate, and the commitments we make to God in service of him and his kingdom and one another instead of ourselves. Are we, are we captured? Are we captivated by the glory of God? If we study the history of the Reformation and revivals, almost without exception, almost without exception, when those revivals and renewing works of the Holy Spirit and Reformation and revival come, there is almost always something that comes with it. It's a recapturing of the vision of the glory of God alone. And when God's church begins to get that again, and when it begins to become obsessed with the glory of God, good news, renewal and revival is likely not far behind. It happened over and over and over again in a time permitted. I could give you illustration after illustration. But my friend, the other converse is true. It's not likely we will see such a movement of God until such a vision is restored. I do want to say this. I am more hopeful now, having been a Christian for 45 years, almost. I am more hopeful now that we are closer to that vision being restored than when I was a young Christian. We think it's, oh, the bad world's bad. Oh, it's going to, you know where, in a handbasket. Well, it is. The world is. But that's not stopping God's work. Ye of little faith, don't read your newspaper and count God and what he's doing out. And he's doing things you do not even know about and understand. But I tell you, when I go to gospel coalition conferences and I see, I see 8,500 more approaching 9,000 men, pastors, and then the women's conference has got 7,000 and they are gathering together and it's all about God-centered theology. The glorious historic Christianity that exalts God and humbles the sinner and gives glory to God alone. And when that becomes the, the shout, uh, thunder of their praise and of their hearts and of their preaching, I say, God, I feel like Bilney. I think I'm beginning to hear someone. I think I'm seeing someone come. Oh, may it be Jesus coming to his church to renew it, to change and renew his people again. 
when there is a God-centered vision for the glory of God alone, it is a harbinger of good things to come. May it be so by God's grace. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for your glory. Forgive us that we, we try to steal it in so many ways. Try to siphon off some for ourselves. But, oh God, you will be glorified. And ultimately, your purposes will not fail. And you are not through with your intentions, Lord, in this world. Come, bring renewal. Come, capture our hearts and minds more and more in the hearts and minds of this nation and other nations around the world with renewed vision for the glory of your sacred name. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.